and welcome to the EDH RETCAST. My name is Joey Schultz, and I am joined by my fantastic co-host. I'm going to start by introducing the one and only Dana Roach. Dana, Matt isn't here with us on the podcast for this week, so I'm really hoping that this means that I get a break from the dad jokes. Right? Right, buddy? Right? I, I Absolutely. I, I just have a, a simple question for you, Joey. Uh-huh. Uh, why do demons and ghouls hang out together? Why? As the old saying goes, Joey, demons are a ghoul's best friend. Oh, you know what? <laughs> you know what? I'm going to choose to like that one. I've decided. It reminds me of... I, I liked that one. I genuinely liked that one. It reminds me of the magic card Ghoul's Night Out, actually. So I say, I say thumbs up to that, Dana. I'm going to decide to sacrifice my sense of humor and just roll with the dad jokes. <laughs> A plus, that was wonderful. Anyway, this is the EDH RecCast. EDH Rec is the best deck building resource on the web for the commander format, compiling data from deck lists all over the internet to provide helpful recommendations for new commander decks. And here on the podcast, what we like to do is give all of that data a little more context. Dana, what are we talking about in this week's episode? We are going to be talking about the sleeper hit cards from 2022. Yes, we are. I am excited for this one. There have been a lot of a, a lot of products that came out this year. Um a little bit too much to keep up with, one could even say. But like there have been some obvious gems in all those sets, but there are also a ton for of sure. like hidden gems in those sets too. And we want to talk about some of our favorites there, which I I don't know. I'm excited to see the ones that you brought forward. I'm really hyped to talk about the ones that I've got too. So I think it'll be a whole lot of fun, dude. Absolutely. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. Uh, but real quick, before we get into that topic, before we start talking about those sleeper cards, not sleeper agents, we don't want to talk about the Phyrexian sleeper agents, sleeper cards. I think that that is a joke that Matt would make. So I'm making it here in his absence. Uh, before we get to that, we want to have uh, just a couple of quick shout outs to do. We'd like to thank Chase, also known as Manicurve, for their work on editing the show. You can find them on Twitter at Manicurves. And you can find all of us at patreon.com slash EDHRECast, where you can support the show in multiple ways. One of which is a shout out. Yes, it is. We have our awesome patron shout out every single week to show our gratitude for the folks supporting us. And this week, that shout out goes out to Samuel Brousseau. Samuel Brousseau, that is such a cool name. You are also super cool yourself for supporting us. Thank you so, so much to everyone who shows a little love to the show, whether you're leaving a review, whether you're liking and subscribing, and if you're supporting us on Patreon as well, we just appreciate all of the support so, so much. And Samuel, this show's for you. Thank you so much. Okay, Dana, let's get into our topic here. We are talking about the sleeper hit cards from 2022. Because, I mean, we all know the big hits, right? Like, we've all seen the huge, immense popularity of cards like Black Market Connections or like Ancient Copper Dragon. Like, we're all familiar with how good Boseju is, that amazing land that can naturalize stuff. Like, we, we're familiar with the big stuff, but let's talk about some of the cards that maybe people might accidentally overlook, cards that we want to give a little bit more of the limelight to. So I'll start it off by passing it to you. What is one of your favorite sleeper hit cards from 2022 so far? I will just continue on what you said there. It's really easy to miss stuff in the best of times, <laughs> let alone when you get like, you know, 16 new sets a year. That's true. Um, and, I, and I'm barely exaggerating once you count like commander decks that come out with each set. There's just so much product that like it's really, really easy unless you sit down and read every card in every set or every previous season which yeah. is never ending <laughs> but yeah i mean so much of this stuff flies under the radar 
Um, the first one, though, I, I want to throw out there is Feywild Visitor. Um, it's two in a blue. It's one of the background enchantments that we got in the Commander Legends Baldur's Gate set. Um, it's a really fantastic card that I've put to excellent use in multiple decks. Commander creatures you own have, whenever one or more non-token creatures you control deal combat damage to a player, you make a 1-1 fairy dragon creature token with flying. Um, that's absurd in a whole bunch of different decks. Because it's a thing, it's generating you value for a thing you're already doing that requires little or no input from you, which is always really, really useful. That's kind of one of the beautiful things about a card like Bitter Blossom. You don't need to do anything. It just makes you a flying fairy every turn. This can make you three of those flying fairies every single turn. And they're fairy dragons, which is pretty relevant in some decks too. <laughs> um, you know, having a flying creature that comes, being able to make multiple of them per turn, depending on if you hit multiple opponents, is really, really useful. The fact that they're fairies is very useful. The fact that they're dragons can be very useful if you happen to have a, a blue dragon deck like I do. <laughs> um, but it's just a really, really good card. And I, I've won multiple games in multiple different decks just from this card. Yeah. Uh, Dana, I'm so happy that you started off with the background because honestly, I think that we just talk about backgrounds for a little while. Because There's a bunch of backgrounds where I think we're going to be using here for sure. They're so good in the 99 of decks. So like y'all know me, I've got my commander, commander tribal deck, which is basically my, like my background tribal deck. Like the deck is uh, only allowed to play cards that refer to a commander and the backgrounds were the inspiration for that. And I was just like, I have, if I have two commanders, I'll get double the background benefits. And you can actually see me play that deck on an episode of El Elder Dragon hijinks with Olivia Lewis Stardust and Rules Committee member Olivia Gobert Hicks. And it's super fun. And those backgrounds are so good when you have two commanders. It's really enjoyable. Seriously, check that game out. But even if you're not committing like so hard to the theme in the way that I did, a couple of backgrounds in the 99, or if you're playing just a random partner deck in the 98, Dana, they're amazing. Like the one that really gets it for me is Candlekeep Sage, which is the three mana blue enchantment. Whenever your commander creatures enter the battlefield or leave the battlefield, you draw a card. Ah, oh my God, that's so good. You don't even have to be playing a blink deck. It's just, I play a commander, I draw a card. Oh, you killed my commander? Cool, I'll get a little bit of insurance off of that and then I can play it again and draw another. Like it greases the wheels in just the perfect way, especially if you've got two commanders in that zone. Yeah, if you're if you're playing two commanders, that card is crazy good. Um, and it's in the perfect colors for that too. There's just so many of the most popular partner pairs are running blue. So like the fact that you can double up, it's just such a useful card. And again, it doesn't require you to really do anything. You're just <laughs> doing the thing you're already doing and it's going to generate you value. And that always feels good. Yes. Yeah. I, I'm, I, there, there are seriously so many that we could talk about. And a whole lot of these backgrounds, like most of them are just showing up as like in the command zone with certain partners, like Folk Hero and Barakos Party Leader, for example, is one of the most popular pairs. Um, or cards like Passionate Archaeologist, the background that has your commanders deal damage to stuff when you cast from exile. Like that's well known for all those Prosper decks and Faldorn decks that are casting tons of stuff from exile. But like the numbers kind of fall off after that. Like Master Chef only shows up in about like 5,000 decks so far. And that's the one that gives your commanders the ability to put plus one counters everywhere. Or, uh, oh, Inspiring Leader is another one that gives your commanders like a, a, a buff on all of your tokens. And if you have two commanders, that's plus four to all your tokens. 
Like, I, I don't know. Do you have other favorite backgrounds? I'm sure you do. Like, we could seriously just talk about the backgrounds for the rest of, of Yeah. Uh, Haunted One is one of my favorite ones. Mm. Um, command, commander creatures you own have, whenever this creature becomes tapped, it and other creatures you control that share a creature type with it, get plus two, plus O, oh, and gain undying. The undying part, at least for me, has been relatively irrelevant. Plus two, plus O oh in, in decks that go wide. Uh, in particular, I've seen this do a crazy amount of work in a fairy list oh. where it, it's always actually been kind of difficult in fairy tribal if you're not playing combo to deal enough combat damage to kill somebody. You know, there's gravitational shift, which is great in those kind of decks. Um, favorable wins buffs creatures up as well. Those are nice. But having one more way to like play a thing and, and turn those, you know, five fairies you had that were going to swing and hit somebody for seven damage, turning that into 20 some damage. Like that's <laughs> the difference between killing somebody and not killing somebody. Yeah. Um, and you have the added advantage of if somebody happens to board wipe or something, well, hey, you've got, they've got undying to perhaps come back in a fairy deck that's less useful than, you know, maybe if you're playing a dragon deck or something. But if you're playing a dragon deck, maybe the plus two plus oh seems less relevant. Maybe the Undying is much more relevant in that kind of deck where, like, those big, powerful dragons, you don't want to – you want to have as many options as you have to have them not go away. So, like, there's a whole bunch of tribal decks where Haunted One does a ton of work, I think. Oh, Dana, can I – my favorite synergy with Haunted One, I just put this one into my Will Helt the Rot Cleaver deck because Will Helt, zombie tribal. All right, here's a zombie tribal pump card. Maybe we'll see how it works because I can attack with my commander, give my zombies a nice pump. I mean, there are a lot of zombies that offer a lot of pumps, so maybe is this excessive? I don't know. I'll, I'll, I'll try it out. As soon as I played it in the first game, I was like, oh, I'm in love with this because the undying is so relevant there because it gets uh, it gives your creatures undying until the end of the turn. And at the end of the turn, Wilhelt snacks on a zombie, sacrifices a zombie to draw a card. And then that zombie, if it hasn't dying, will just come right back. So we get just like free extra tokens off of Wilhelt, free card draw off of that. Like I, I like backgrounds and I love Haunted One so much. This is such a good pick and it's only showing up in like 4,800 decks right now. Oh, it's so good. <laughs> Like what? What if a card made Gray Merchant of Ashfidel even better? And like that's <laughs> it's like it's there's there's so many of those situations where it, it just makes already effective decks even better, or or it helps ones that were like a little bit struggling just turn that corner slightly. Nice, yeah, absolutely. As long as we're talking about some Baldur's Gate cards, I'll actually go for another sleeper hit card from that set for me, which is the card Inspired Tinkering. Dana, I feel like you might be familiar with this one because it does some treasure stuff that I think your jury deck might really, really be into. Inspired Tinkering is a five mana red sorcery and uncommon from the Baldur's Gate set that says exile the top three cards of your library until the end of your next turn. You may play those cards and you create three treasure tokens. This is just so solid. Like you get you get mana and card advantage off of this this card here. And if you're doing token doubling or any artifact shenanigans, this card just greases so many wheels. I love this thing. It's a wonderful roll filler. I mean, three impulse draw triggers until next turn for five <laughs> mana isn't isn't terrible anyway. Right. I mean, red, like there's better things, but like that's not unplayable. And the fact that you immediately refund if you want to and if you need to, three of the five mana you spend, let alone whatever like weird tre treasure synergy you may or may not have in that deck such a good card i like i when i read this i was like i'm i, I read the text on it multiple times i'm like certainly i'm missing something this <laughs> there has to be some other downside here and there is there is not that is a fantastic card yeah yeah oh de definitely a favorite and am i right in thinking that you put it into that jury treasure deck absolutely yeah absolutely. okay Straight jammed it in there yeah for sure yeah i am this one's on my radar for nearly any red deck that i build this one's uh, it, it's really really spicy okay i 
I want to move on, but I feel like we still have other Baldur's Gate cards to talk about. Like, am, am I? <laughs> There's plenty of cool stuff in Baldur's Gate. Absolutely. Um, one of the cards that I liked most out of that set, um, and I, I posted on Twitter about it, Candlekeep Inspiration. Yeah. Um, it, again, it was one of those cards. I, I it, it instead of me being shocked by how powerful it was, it was one where I it didn't register right away. Um, you know, five mana is a lot, and at sorcery speed, that's not ideal. Um, until the end of turn, creatures you control have base power and toughness XX, where X is a number of cards you own in exile and in your graveyard and that are on an adventure. Um, so nobody can like deal with that by exiling your graveyard for one. And if there's, if you are playing something with delve or whatever, and you're usually you have to have that push and pull with delve. Okay. I have to exile stuff from my graveyard and then it's no longer there to recur or do whatever. So that, you know, you have to decide whether or not that's worth it. Candle Keep Inspiration does not care. <laughs> Those cards are exiled. They are just buffing your creatures. And maybe that's not useful to you if you're playing, you know, a Sphinx Tribal or you've got, a, you know, just a deck full of giant beaters. You don't maybe want to turn your 6-6 six, six into a 5-5 five, five or whatever. But if you are playing, you know, a fairy deck like we talked about earlier or I run it in my Talran Sky Summoner deck. I think the last time I cast it, it turned those 2-2 two, two drakes into 8-8s. Eight, and I think that's the smallest they've ever been. I don't think I've ever cast it. That was the most recent time. And I don't think I've ever cast it in that deck where it didn't make them larger than that. So there's decks where Candlekeep Inspiration just kills the table. It's five mana, kill every person and who's sitting there looking at you right now. That's so good. It's an amazing card. And and I was it was one of those things I was genuinely like I knew it was gonna be useful, but once I played it, I realized that's it, it's the fun, it's functionally blues overrun. It's amazing. I was I was just gonna say, like this actually strikes me as like a proper finisher, especially for those decks that might be notorious for like they kind of take a long time to finally peck your opponents down. Yeah. Like th there's there's a couple of deck building restrictions on this. You do have to be in a deck that cares about having a lot of little bodies in play and a lot of spells that you've cast. Yep. Which tends to, I think, usually take the form of like mono blue or Azorius decks, especially. Mm -hmm. But like those decks are also usually the ones that need a little bit of extra oomph to be like, all right, I cast this spell and boom, this is going to be the lethal blow. And this card fits that perfectly. This card does exactly that job. Yeah. And it's only showing up in a thousand decks right now on EDA track. And it's like, no, what? This is this is a really cool finisher. Like getting blown out by this card feels neat. Yeah. And like I said, like you said, like it doesn't necessarily, you don't necessarily need to be playing a spell slinger kind of deck. Most decks are running, you know, 20 plus instants and sorceries for the most part. <laughs> and if you just are playing a deck with a bunch of creatures and, and you're playing in a, a slow, if your deck is slow, you're playing in a slower meta, turn 10 rolls around, you're just going to have six or seven of those in your graveyard, probably worst case, or exile, whatever. But yeah, it's, it's you know, it's a little bit, it's, it's narrower than an overrun for sure, but there's a lot of blue decks where that's a really powerful effect. Mm-hmm. You know what? As long as you're talking about, I, so I'm going to try and use this moment to try and break myself away from the sleeper hits from the Baldur's Gate set. Sure. <laughs> as long as you are talking about a a version of a card that is like a you know blues version of an overrun effect or something like that, I'm going to try and angle for one here that is uh, just recently come out and it's in white. This is for me sort of white's version of an overrun effect, and that's the new card for the Emperor with the exclamation point. Very important with the exclamation point. This one's from the Warhammer decks. So three. 
three and a white. It's a sorcery that says creatures you control get plus two, plus two, and gain vigilance and lifelink until end of turn. Now, this is a very new card at the time that we're recording. It's only showing up in 207 decks, but also like the Warhammer decks themselves are new. The reason that I think this might qualify as a sleeper hit is because a lot of the discussion I've seen online has been like advice for people to take this out of the pre-con tokens deck that it came in. And that's not advice that I agree with. I think this card's super rad. And I just got one from my Thalese tokens deck because when you have a bunch of one ones that you want to be kind of lethal, but you also want to keep your defenses up and you also want your life total to go up. This, this card's awesome. <laughs> this card is so good. Turn all of your little one ones into three threes that also give you life and can still block next turn. I, I I love this. This is the type of card that prevents you from falling into a king-making scenario. It's so cool. And I think the immediate comparison that comes to mind is like Akroma's Will, which gives yourself all of the keywords. And it's a really, really good card. But Akroma's Will gives you keywords, but not necessarily a little bit of extra pump. And this card has a little bit of extra pump. And especially if you're playing on a budget, this card's only like 30 cents right now. Right. I don't know. I just... I really like this card, which is apparently an unpopular opinion, but I don't know. I really like this card. Yeah, I, I, I don't get that. Is Akroma's Will better most of the time? Yeah, yeah, probably. Uh, Crater Hoof Behemoth's better than Overwhelming Stampede most of the time, and it doesn't mean no one runs Overwhelming Stampede. Right. They run that that and Crater Hoof and Overrun and... Poor like, K, no lows dose. Yeah. Half a dozen of those things, right? Triumph of the Hordes and whatever. Like, there's a whole bunch of those effects that people run in those decks. Um not being as good as a Chroma's will isn't necessarily a bad thing. Like, <laughs> it, yes, it's 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 perhaps not as great as some of those those green overruns, but you're not in green, you're in white. And I wouldn't run it in a Selesnia deck or something, <laughs> but in a white deck or a Boros deck, that's a really, really good card that is probably going to kill one person. And on top of that, that lifelink is going to make it very difficult for someone to kill you on the crackback. Yes. Is it is it's not as good as trample, I wouldn't say more often than not, but you're leaving up blockers to protect yourself and you're gaining enough life to make it much more difficult to finish you off. Yeah, that that's huge. And again, you know, maybe this is just because I have been playing games with Matt Morgan and Dana Roach, who have this just this indescribable need to always attack me and reduce my life total. So I've begun I've begun to get a little bit more precious about my life total. So when I see a card that could give you like a bunch of life while also dishing out a bunch of damage, maybe it's just because of uh, how many games that I play against you guys at twitch.tv slash EDHRECast that is informing my love of this card. Um, I don't know, Dana, I'm not sure if you can speak to that. Am I off my rocker here? No, I, I like it a lot. Um, <laughs> I don't necessarily have a deck that wants it right now, but it's one of those cards where I look at it and I'm like, oh, if I had this deck, I would want it. If I had this deck, I would want it. Like, there's a bunch of different lists. I can absolutely imagine where it would shine. I just happen to not have one right now. Mm. But, but I will say this. It's a card I did buy a single of because I'm like, <laughs> I'm I'm going to at some point build a deck that wants it. So I'm just going to have one here. So I, I bought the single even if I have no place for it because I want to have one. Yeah, man, these cards are, these these are so cool. These are great gems. Like, don't miss out on, on some of these cards. There are a lot of big, splashy things that are taking up a lot of attention, but some of these other cards definitely deserve a, a good amount of attention themselves, too. Uh, there are so many more that we want to get to as well, but uh, Dana, I think if I keep talking about them, I might explode uh, because I'm clearly getting a little bit too excited for myself here. So how about we take a quick breather? We take a quick pause for Challenge the Stats. What do you say? Oh, um that was that was such a smooth segue, and Matt wasn't even here to see it. <laughs> I, I I appreciate it. I think anyway. Yeah, let's take a quick break, and then we'll come back with some challenges. So our first challenge of stats was sent to us by listener Sam, um, and Sam wants to challenge the card Stranic Resonator in Commander Girid Conclave Exile. So for those who don't remember, because 
this was a long, long time ago now, and at least in magic years. <laughs> um, when geared ETBs, he creates a 4-4 green rhino creature token with trample. And whenever he attacks, you populate. So you make a token that's a copy of another token you control, and that token is tapped and attacking. So more often than not, you're going to be making that 4-4 rhino, but that deck tends to be filled with things that also make large swole tokens that you can hopefully copy instead of that 4-4 rhino. Um, Stronic Resonator lets you spend two mana to tap it as an artifact to copy a um, activated, excuse me, a triggered ability. So in this case, when the populate trigger happens, it will you can copy it with the Resonator and, and make a second 4-4 rhino. That's really not probably what you're going to be doing, though, because that deck is filled with, with creatures that also tend to have abilities that make large tokens. Um, Strike Resonator is just really good in general in any commander that has that triggered ability. And this case, you're playing it in a deck that, that where the commander has that in addition to it, it being filled with cards that also have triggered ability. So there's like just almost always going to be a target for it. Resonator is just a great card in general. This is a deck where it probably is even better than it usually is, and it's only in 3% of decks right now. So I, I think that's a good call, Sam. Resonator should be in more Jira decks for sure. Wow. this I, I'm, I'm looking through a couple of those triggered abilities that are in this deck, and there's stuff like Quartzwood Crasher and Giant Adiphage and like those Adiphage was the one jumped out at me. I was like, that feels like a pretty good thing to copy. Yeah, that uh that's a that's a a feels good moment for the pilot, but that's a feels bad moment for yes. uh let me do the math here. Literally everyone else. <laughs> yes. All right, yeah. Cool. I'll move now on to my challenge here. And I mentioned my boy Sir William Helt, Will Helt the Rock Cleaver earlier. And I I'm gonna do a tricky challenge here on a card that I think is overplayed in that Will Helt deck. Um Endless Ranks of the Dead, buddy, let's talk. You're currently showing up in 68% of the nearly 10,000 Will Help decks out there, which, which means that you're showing up in a lot of decks. It's, it's a lot. In Endless Ranks of the Dead, you have some beautiful art by one of my favorite magic artists, Ryan Yi. Like it's, it's absolutely it's gorgeous. It's evocative. But your ability here, at the beginning of your upkeep, create X 2-2 black zombie creature tokens, where X is half the number of zombies you control, rounded down. So that sounds nice, um, but in practice, uh, you, you, you leave me um, wanting more, <laughs> wanting a lot more. Like, I, I don't know. I'm going to drop the bit now. I, I'm sorry. I just have not found this card to be successful in my zombie deck at all. It is a beautiful piece of art, and that is certainly reason enough to run it. But in my experience, this card, I mean, if you only have one zombie in play, it doesn't make you anything. If you have nothing in play, it doesn't make you anything. And those are very feels bad moments, especially when you know the type of value that these zombies could be churning out a lot more consistently. Like a zombie creator that I tend to run instead is like Newscraft Mob, for instance, which can create a ton of zombie bodies at a much faster rate and yeah so endless strength of the dead i'm sorry i love the way you look but i don't love the way you look in decks and i don't think that you should show up in that many of the nearly ten thousand will help decks um fellow necromancers i would love to know your experiences with this one but this strikes me as a card that is a, a little bit on the slow and shambling side when our zombies are currently moving into the 28 days later we're going to run really fast type of style it's it's one of those cards I, I i think about years ago when i first started playing commander so we're talking like return to ravnica era um, the person I played the most with had a zombie tribal deck. And I distinctly remember him saying, oh, I, I can't wait to replace <laughs> Endless Ranks of the Dead with something a little bit better because it misses too often. And that was 
150 sets ago right (laughs) a bunch of which were very zombie centric there's just been like it wasn't that amazing back then and there's been so many zombie cards or zombie adjacent cards or tribal cards added since then that there's probably something better than Endless Ranks of the Dead for most zombie decks. Well, Dana, you said 150 sets ago, and that was only last week, buddy. Like that was right. Uh, yeah, right. <laughs> I am probably wrong by saying 150. You're correct. Well, and, and as like a replacement idea, for example, like Reflections of Lityara is one of my favorite cards in my Will Health deck. That's the one that copies the creature spells of a certain type that you cast. So it enters, you choose a creature type, a zombie, and whenever you cast a zombie, you'll get two of those zombies. Like that adds up and it's doubling your lords. It's doubling the zombies that have like death triggers or death effects. It even gives you an additional copy of Will Health. So Will Health will see another legendary Will Health and that Will Health will have to go away. But then you get a decayed zombie right away from it, which you can eat to draw cards. Now I'm just sorry. I, I really like my Will Health deck and I, I think that there's a lot of fun stuff that you can do with it. But Endless Ranks of the Dead has not made the cut for me. And now I think I'm done talking about it because we're gonna, we are gonna we need to move on. Otherwise, I'll talk about zombies forever. All right. Man, I really can get just off on a roll on some of these. I'll talk about Baldur's Gate forever. I'll talk about zombies forever. It's, it's almost like I love this game or something. I don't know. So let's just talk about sleeper cards from this year forever. <laughs> yeah, let's do that. And you know what? Uh, I actually, I can't wait. I'm too excited. Dana, I'm going to jump right back into it with one of my, my picks here. Um, do you know Coronation of Chaos? Are you familiar with Coronation of Chaos? I, 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 I am not familiar with Coronation of Chaos. So this one's a another Baldur's Gate cards. Look, I'm sorry, but it's really good, okay? It's <laughs> it's in about like nearly 1,200 decks right now, and it is just a common for three mana. It's a three mana red sorcery where three target creatures can't block this turn, and they're goaded until your next turn. This is a common. This, this is like mini disrupt decorum to me. I love this thing. It is so tiny and doesn't seem like it would be as annoying as it is, but three target creatures, that can be different people. That can be, hey, one person, like, hey, you and your three creatures can't block me this turn. I'm going to punch your life total. And also now on your next turn, you've got to hit another one of our mutual opponents. Like this thing is so pesky and I just love it so much. Yeah. Um, I had forgot about this card. I had to go look it up briefly here to read it. I'm like, oh, I remember because I've, I've had this card used against me at least once. It's also one of those cards where you can lean really heavily into what you want to do. Do I just want to basically make my stuff unblockable by make, making this person's three creatures unable to block this turn? And then I don't care if they're goaded. I'm going to kill them because I'm punching through. Like that's yeah. a really useful thing to do. Or are you in a situation where you're like, I don't care if the stuff can't block. I just wanted these three, three things to either have to swing on somebody else or just be tapped or, you know, that person's weak commander. I want them to be forced to attack into somebody so it gets blocked and gets killed, whatever. It has a lot of utility that isn't necessarily readily apparent on the card. You can use it for a lot of different things, and that's always really useful. Yeah, especially the thing for me is that it's a goad card that doesn't fall off into being completely useless when it's down to a one-on-one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, That's really big for a goad deck. Like I've got my Karazakar goad deck, which is why I, I took an interest in this card to begin with. And I loved it even at the very end of the game where I'm down to one person, where a Disruptive Quorum goading all of their creatures against just a single opponent doesn't feel as great. I mean, it's still an, an amazing card. I'm certainly playing it in that, de- in that deck because when you have multiple opponents, oh man, it's just, it's it's glorious. It's the biggest safety blanket in the world. 
world. But this is a card that I do prefer to see when I'm down to that one-on-one because now I'm like, all right, sweet, your three best things can't block my 5-5 five, five and my 6-6 six, six and my 4-4. Four, four. And that's that might be enough to actually push through the lethal thing. So it's such a diverse card. Not even when you cast it, it's diverse. It's also diverse at different points in the game. And that is just chef's kiss for me. Absolutely love this thing. And it's just a common. Love it. Yeah. <laughs> well, like I have an uncommon, I guess, that, that is in a fits a similar role one of the things you liked about about that card was how it was never dead even when you were at the end of the game when you only had one opponent mm. that's what i like about twin inferno um twin inferno is an instant speed spell um whenever you cast your next instant or sorcery um this turn copy that spell you may choose two nar- two targets for the copy it's one in a red that's pretty typical thing that you oftentimes see in red but it has two modes Ooh. that's just the first mode the second mode that you can also choose is Target creature you control gains double strike until end of turn. Um, the problem, in, in, and I'm using this term roughly because double strike is an amazing ability, <laughs> but it doesn't it doesn't stack. Like you don't want a bunch of things in a deck that do double strike. There's a couple different pieces of equipment that give double strike, and like I'm always leery of including too many of them in my equipment deck because I've been been in plenty of situations where I have one out and then I top deck one. I'm like, that that doesn't feel great. Similarly with, you know, an instant speed spell, like Team or Battle Rage is already a pretty great card. Um, you know, are, are, if you have two of these in your deck, are you going to have them both in hand very often? Not that often, but like it still feels bad when it occurs. Well, in Twin Inferno, that, that problem kind of goes away because if you don't need to use the double strike ability because your creature has double strike, because you have Team or Battle Rage already out, whatever... You could still copy a spell. Like yeah. it kind of elim- eliminates that problem of double strike not stacking by giving you something else very, very useful already on that card. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's a great one. And also, can I just admire the portmanteau of that name, Twinferno? Yes, exactly. Like, that that's hitting on multiple axes. But yeah, no, you're so right. Like they're the, the cards that are so good, but they risk redundancy with each other is a difficult thing to navigate. And this card gets around that in so many neat ways. I don't usually think of like, oh, this deck that cares about double strike and cares about copying spells. Like those do feel in my brain like separate deck archetypes. But sure. But they're not necessarily. And that's a, a thing that I need to be. I'm just like, wait a second. That isn't necessarily true. And I'm glad to have this extra thing. Like I would if if these cards didn't have one of those other abilities, like two mana to give a double strike to a thing, that is actually still the thing that we've seen have a lot of success in this format. And two mana to copy a thing? Yeah, right. Yeah, we've seen that single effect having a lot of success in this format. So when you squish them together like this, uh, yeah, you get a you get a really impressive red uncommon. It's I'm I'm a big fan of that card, and again, it's it's just wonderful to see cards like that that feel like they're always going to be useful in your deck no matter the situation i'm, I'm a big fan of that yeah modal cards really get a lot of work done yeah um you know what okay we've mentioned this one on the show before but dana this is another one that we're both a big fan of so um i think we have to mention protection racket right yes protection protection racket is so again it's just it's led to some of the silliest and it, it's so fun to play this one uh this one is from the new capenna set i believe protection racket is three and a black for an enchantment that says at the beginning of your upkeep repeat the following process for each opponent in turn order reveal the top card of your library that player may pay life equal to that card's mana value and if they do exile that card otherwise put it into your hand um, so Dana, I believe I may or may not have tormented you and Matt and any of our guests on our stream um, when I put this into my Yannette deck, which is full of a rather a large number of nine drops and um, just 
peeled a bunch of seven and nine drops off the top of library asking if you wanted to either let me draw extra cards or if you wanted to pay nine life. Um, I love this thing. I, I know I keep saying that, but this is like really, really cool. It is. Uh, it is similar to your net, your net deck. I'm running it in my Silumgar Dragons deck where nice. every creature in that deck costs, you know, seven or eight mana. Similar thing that just, hey, you can either take you know, a damage from this astral dragon, or you can give it to me. And either one of those situations feels terrible if you're the person on the other end of it. <laughs> um, it it's also an interesting card that I feel like it gets better the more casual your deck is sure. for the most part. It's not 100% true, but like the more battle cruisery and the more like high CMC stuff you have in your deck, the better it gets. It's probably pretty useless if you're playing, you know, a deck with the average CMC like 1.8, like CEDH doesn't want anything to do with this kind of card in general, but like they definitely don't with, with one where everyone's just going to every turn, take the one damage or something. Um, but in a relatively casual beta, this not only is very effective, it's, it is a fun card too. Like it yes. does, it's, it makes for good stories and that's always a great thing to say about a card. Yes. Yeah. Or, and there are a lot of decks that just like kind of naturally encourage playing a lot of high mana cards. Like Henzi Toolbox Tore, for example, also is like, it wants you to play a bunch of big creatures to yeah. get the blitz uh, reduction off of Henzi's effect. But when you're just ripping them off the top of the deck, it's like here, either take damage to make it so I don't get the creature or let me have the creature at which point I'm going to deal a bunch of damage to you with said creature. It uh, When we talked about it before, I think I said that it's the type of card that rewards you for being a little bit foolish with your decks, which is just mm -hmm. a, a type, a section of gameplay that I absolutely love yeah. just to death. So that's one that I think I had to to point out here as a, as a sleeper card that works in some really fun contexts. It in itself balances a little bit too in that regard because like you're never going to get a land. No one's ever going to no, let yeah. you get your land drop for the turn off that. So, whereas, you know, there are situations I, where I've definitely had say a Phyrexian Arena in hand on my opening draw or a Sylvan Library in like normally I would have maybe not kept that hand, but you looked on you're like, oh, I can drop this on turn, you know, two with a Sylvan Library, turn three with a Phyrexian Arena or a study, and I will get my fourth land drop, probably. Like, odds are really high that will help me get there. Mm -hmm. This doesn't do that, right? Like, like it, no one's going to let you take that land after you drop it on turn four. Um, they're just going to make you exile. And so there is some kind of hidden controls built into it, too, which I like. That's good. I think that's a positive thing that, that cards aren't just super strong every time. I think it's a powerful card that has kind of some speed bumps built in, and that's a, a great little bit of design for sure. Yes, yeah, and I especially love that the last time I played this one against you, you paid for the, the life for everything I flipped off the top of the deck every I single did. time, <laughs> no matter how how much man uh, how much the mana value was. So you paid like nine life, and then another five life. Don't negotiate with terrorists, and that's exactly what you did. Yeah, like this. <laughs> I did. Yeah, and like, look, we remember a fun experience from a game as a result of this card. Yeah, that's optimal. That's exactly what I want cards to do for sure. Um, but while we were talking about this one. You mentioned in your dragon deck just a moment ago, Dana, I believe you said the words astral dragon. I did. Yes. Yes, indeed. Um, you want to talk to me more about that one? Because woo, astral dragon, again, is an example of a card that's just fun. So yes, it's eight mana, which is maybe not a lot of fun. Um, <laughs> the fun is in what the card does. It has an ability called project image. So when astral dragon enters the battlefield, you create two tokens that are copies of target non-creature permanent except they're three, three dragon creatures in addition to their other types and they have flying. So, I mean, okay, worst case, you make a couple of three, three soul ring dragons, I guess. Um, <laughs> or you make a couple of like three, three Rhystic study dragons or like there's a bunch, the things you will make copies of in this, when you successfully cast an astro dragon 
it's ridiculous. Like there, there's just so many dumb things that can happen. <laughs> so and funny. every time I've seen it cast, it's that's been what it is. It's been something absurd. Oh yeah, these these are my smothering tithe dragons. Uh, yeah, right, these, right, exactly. Yeah. These over here, these are my parallel lives dragons. Get ready to see a whole lot more of them. Uh, yeah, oh yeah, I this it's it's bonkers i think that this card might be pushing the definition of sleeper hit because dana it is the most popular card that we've talked about so far it's showing up in 6600 decks so far yeah um two percent of decks that are eligible to play it so we we need to to watch out for that but yeah i i feel like this qualifies this is a it's just so dang fun and i think a lot of the attention in that set went to some of the bigger more obvious dragons like miram and all of the stuff that the ancient copper dragon was doing in that set but astral dragon has produced some absolutely wacky game states that are it's just cool and again this is another one of those cards that like if you're playing a blink deck for instance again sometimes a blink deck might struggle to close a game out well the fact that this makes tokens that are also creatures that fly is going to help you close that game down like they are more more vulnerable you're not making copies of an enchantment copies of an artifact that are difficult to remove whereas creatures are a little bit easier to remove so like that seems like a downside at first but it actually helps you win it just it helps you deal more damage this thing comes in with 10 total power right for, for eight mana and you get a bunch of extra bonus effects for whatever the Matt's Marari's wake was doing over there. And you get right, two of them. Right. <laughs> like, that's... Yeah, t- t- 10 evasive power for eight mana, particularly in like not green, is a pretty decent rate of exchange. Yeah. Let alone whatever added gas you're going to you're gonna add on to that because of the, you know, silly thing you copied. Yeah, you know, listen, if you're, if you're playing super competitively, th- this card isn't for you. It's not going to do you any good in your deck. You're not, you don't have eight mana to play this kind of four, four creature. That's not usually how those decks work. And if you're going to be reanimating stuff, there's far more impactful things probably to reanimate than this. Yeah, probably. Um, if you're treating stuff in, but like, there's a lot of people that aren't playing at that. If you're playing at that, that kind of battle cruiser power level, this is an amazing card and it is, it's effective and it, it's fun. It creates stories. Absolutely. Perfect choice. Yeah, ah, that's a that's a fun one. I'm I'm glad that <laughs> I'm glad you mentioned that just offhandedly in in talking about dragons and yeah and protection rackets and stuff like that. I'm glad that that one came up because that is a that one's near and dear uh, for sure. So we 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 talked about that that card there. That's a little bit absurd. That's like that's a luxurious, right? If you're you're casting an eight mana dragon, you're you're playing in a specific kind of deck where like you're able to do those kind of things, and that's not something every deck can do. Um. Roadside Reliquary, on the other hand, mm. um, is a land from, from Kamigawa Neon Dynasty. Um, taps for colorless mana. It doesn't come into play tapped, so there's not a lot of downside to it other than, you know, it only makes colorless mana. Um, and you can spend two mana to sacrifice it and draw a card if you control an artifact and draw a card if you control an enchantment. Um, so that if you control one of each, you, you draw two cards. Um, when I first saw this, this spoiled initially, I, I didn't think much of it. We already had Cryptic Caves that for one mana let you draw one card basically no matter what mm-hmm. you have to have five lands in play but like by the time you're sacrificing lands to draw cards you have five lands in play for the most part that's really not a big deal so i didn't really like think much about it um until i went to the pre-release and i actually <laughs> wound up wound up with two of these in my pre-release kit so I, i'll try it out i'll put it in my deck you can afford to run a few utility lands in a you know two color pre-release deck and I got it out very regularly, and every time I was like, oh, I have an artifact and enchantment in play, I'm drawing two cards, that was really, really powerful. Because um, you don't tend to have a ton of draw in a pre-release environment, so I'm like, that was super effective in a way that I didn't think it would be. 
I might as well try it in Commander because I obviously got a couple of them in my pre-release <laughs> kit, so I put put them in decks. I'm like, well, I'll give it a go. Cryptic Case wasn't impressive, but let's let's see how this works. It turns out that like losing a land to draw a card in Commander doesn't feel that amazing, but losing a land to draw two cards feels way way better. And and that's not the kind of thing that registered with me until I was in a position to do it. And you know, I I play this and I, I don't crack it every time. But I've cracked it a bunch of times, and every time I've, I have, it, I have, it's changed the 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 speed in which I was playing, or or I'm not sure how you how you word that, but like in that position where you have two cards in hand and you're feeling like you're out of choices, and now you have four cards in hand and you have a lot more options. Mm-hmm. Um, it 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 just really feels like it changes the velocity of what you're doing in a way that like drawing a single card off Cryptic Caves didn't. Velocity so, is I, such a good word yeah. for that. So I'm, I'm running this, and I've looked at my decks. Like if I have, you know, two enchantments in the deck, well, then it's always going to be a cryptic case, and I'm not running it for the most part. But a lot of my decks have, you know, eight or ten enchantments and eight or ten artifacts, and it's really easy to draw two cards off it. I've been thrilled to see this almost every time I've, I've put it in a deck, and I, I think it is a real sleeper card that it's not a bomb. It's not game-changing. It's just a really nice piece of uh, of of tech to make life easier if you're playing Commander. And that's an important thing to note about like the definition of sleeper hit cards as well, right? Like mm-hmm. this one also is kind of a card that can go under the radar even when it's on the battlefield. Mm-hmm. Like of note, Roadside Reliquary does show up in 11,000 decks, which sounds like a whole lot. Yeah. Except that like when we're comparing this to some of the other cards that we've discussed, like yes, this is showing up in a greater total number of decks than any of the other cards we've mentioned so far, but this is a colorless land that can go into literally all of the decks. So the amount of cards that this is competing with for for card slots compared to like any random mono red deck is very different. And like, you know, when looking at the data in relation to that, like Roadside Reliquary is showing up in 1% of Oh goodness, this is a big number. Uh, nine hundred and seventy-four thousand four hundred and seventy-six <laughs> eligible decks. So like we do a little bit of the comparativity there when we're talking about like where this deck, where this card is actually showing up. So like 11,000, again, definitely a big number, but 1% eligibility here. And it also like is a sleeper even when it's on the battlefield because I don't realize how much weight this card is going to pull when you're using it. And it's as a simple utility land, really easy to just kind of overlook in a random set. Um, so yeah, Dana, I, I like your choice here. I have uh, not had as much experimentation with this card myself, but I've seen you use it and I'm like, dang, I got to consider that one. So what's your your next sleeper here you have for us, Joey? Ooh, the next sleeper I have here, um, you know, we can talk about the wholesome stuff for too long, right? We, we got to go a little bit, um, sure, a little bit dangerous here. I, I would love to talk to you, Dana, about the card Angel of Suffering, which is a fun <laughs> one from Nuke Penna that I really like in my Sir Conrad deck because it is disgusting uh angel of suffering is a five mana black angel a nightmare angel actually um it's a five three with flying if damage would be dealt to you prevent that damage and mill twice that many cards holy yes yes i I, this is are you kidding (laughs) someone tries to like attack me with stuff or deal damage with a spell and this thing is sitting here like nope but what if instead you filled my graveyard and my conrad boy over there was like hey thanks for helping you're gonna take damage now instead I what a beautiful, beautiful, wonderful, uh, amazing fellow. I I'm I'm in love. I'm in love. This is everything that I want from a deck. And there are certain synergies that you could pull off too. There are cards like I think it's um Midnight Reaper is the name of the card that like damages you and draws you cards whenever your creatures die. Well, that's damage. And Angel the Suffering is like, what if instead of 
you know, taken the damage to draw those cards, you milled and you got your, your graveyard strategy even further online. This, this is an insidiously beautiful card. And the fact that it's also a nightmare, in addition to being an angel, it's got tribal synergies. I am personally surprised that this only shows up in 3,700 of the decks that are eligible to play it. This is, uh, this, this, this one's, this one's spicy and mean and lovely. This this is one of those cards like it's the definition of don't threaten me with a good time. Yeah, <laughs> mill twice as many cards. That's not really actually a downside in a lot of decks. Like yeah, if you're gonna hit me, I guess I won't take damage and I'll mill. What a terrible combination of things that will happen to my reanimator deck. How unfortunate. Oh yeah, call yeah. call the ambulance, but not for me. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> what a silly card. And yeah, I mean again, it's it's. You talked about it not being a ton of decks. It's, this is a relatively inexpensive card. It was a mythic from a recent set. Mm-hmm. A card that you can pick up for you know a dollar and change and is absurdly powerful in the right deck. <laughs> I love that card for sure. Yeah, you, you play in a Bladewing Deathless Tyrant deck that wants to have a bunch of stuff in your graveyard to make zombie tokens. Mm-hmm. Here's an angel that will make your opponents not want to hit you. And if this card doesn't mill you, that's also a success because that means that no one's hurting you at all, right. which just is perfect. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Can't, uh, I, I will, I will gush. I will just keep gushing. I get so excited when we talk about these cards. So Dana, you gotta, you gotta take it. Uh, the sleeper goes back to you. <laughs> Mike's back to you. <laughs> um, so, okay. So, so there's a, a, been a lot of interesting pieces of equipment made in magic over the years. Um, but we've got a couple of them this year that actually kind of really jumped out at me that I like quite a bit. Um, Mask of the Schemer and Robe of the Archmage, and I will mention them both because they both are blue pieces of equipment and they both do kind of something similar. Robe of the Archmage draws you cards for each point of damage you deal. And Mask of the Schemer, uh, when a equipped creature deals combat damage to a player, it connives X, where X is the amount of damage dealt to that player. So uh, connive means you draw X cards and discard X cards and put a plus one counter on the creature for each non-land card to discard it this way. So again, it, it, it's just a way if you happen to be playing an equipment deck that has access to blue, you're probably running equipment that buff that some creature up to a large amount and you're going to draw <laughs> so many cards to the point where, thanks to Double Strike, there's been multiple times where oh. I've had to find a way to destroy my own robes or destroy my own Mask of the Schemer before the second damage trigger could happen on Double Strike because it would have milled me. <laughs> So I've like drawn a ton of cards and I'm like, I really hope there's a disenchant effect in here so I can destroy the mask before I have to deal with the second damage trigger happening because then I'm going to lose the game. <laughs> oh, wow. So I guess if it, that's a good, that's what we call a good problem, I think. If you uh, yeah. You're probably in an okay position if you've drawn that many cards. And I've had that happen more than one time, including, I think, a couple times at events this year. So I was... So, so people that I was playing with, I, they, they had to witness me trying to destroy my own mask to not lose a game. That's so funny. That one is a call an ambulance, but actually, wait, no, it might need to be for me. <laughs> for the, exactly. Yeah. 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 That is an extremely good problem to have. Like, I, I love the the robe of the arc magi because especially it can it lets you draw a bunch of cards when you deal combat damage to a player with the equipped creature, but it also equips shamans, warlocks, and wizards for a significantly reduced cost. Yes. And there are a lot of incidental shamans and warlocks and wizards out there. This is like really cool. If you're playing changeling stuff, that could be neat. But if you're also just playing a random Adelie's deck, that could be great. Um, Kangi, Sky Warden also happens to be one of those creature types or Alela Artful Provocateur is itself a warlock and it's very evasive. So you're probably going to do a pretty decent chunk of damage getting in little hits here and there. The one that really impresses 
bothers me is this mask of the schemer because it powers up the thing that it's attached to. Yes. So you get to connive more and more and more every time that this happens. Exactly. And that is like legit dangerous. That is that is that is a little bit ter- like yeah. It does not surprise me to hear that you've nearly drawn yourself out with both of these cards. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like obviously, robe is probably going to draw you enough cards that you're going to find a win condition. But like mask in its own way is the win condition. If you draw a bunch of cards, you're going to enable you're going to buff that creature enough that it's just it will kill someone next turn. In addition to maybe whatever <laughs> crazy things you drew. So yeah, no, they're both fantastic cards and probably see a little bit less play because blue tends to not care about equipment quite as much as like mm. boros you know white red combination things do but um if you happen to be playing in a in a you know blue artifact deck like i happen to have one both those cards are amazing yeah and that new ayesha tanaka armorer also is another one yeah cares about having a lot of artifacts and it wants to buff itself up these would both be really good picks uh for that one most likely like Oh yeah. Oh, Dana, these these are these are such great cards. I feel like when you pull these equipment out, I'm gonna need to have my Angel of Suffering ready to protect me because you're about right. to do. Thanks. So I can mill you for 60 or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> oh man. Oh, this is this is so cool. I there there are so many amazing cards that have been made. And like the near relentless pace at which products have been coming out has yeah. certainly caused us to maybe overshadow um sometimes it's harder to spot some of these cards that actually are really like diamonds in the rough because there's a, a, a lot of a lot of rough go, going on it's like oh there's a lot more sand to, to to sort of sift through yeah um but there really are some wonderful things like if if there's i don't know it's it's fun to make fun of how frequent we're getting new products but if there is a silver lining on that it is that we are more likely to encounter cards that we've never seen before in games which is something that we've mentioned on the podcast before yes and there are some of these cards that i've like seen you play a little here and there or cards that i didn't even know that you've been playing that are really impressive and it's delightful to be able to talk about those and to get to highlight them because they really are fantastic work yeah yeah i mean it's i guess like we talked about just once upon a time, it was much easier to look at every single card that got released, and you're just going to miss stuff these days. Mm. So um, hopefully this kind of thing is helpful to, to users out there who who did miss this stuff because it was <laughs> easy to miss. It's really easy to miss. There's plenty of cards that, you, that, that we play against one another that we missed because mm. there's just so much product. So <laughs> hopefully this was useful. And, and actually, we would also love to hear any suggestions from any of our listeners mm. out there for – cool sleepers from this year that we didn't talk about because like we said we missed stuff too so hit us up in the comments or tweet to us if if there's any cool sleepers that you out there particularly like yes absolutely and once again we're not talking about the phyrexian sleeper agents we need them to be the sleeper (laughs) hit cards um yeah let's wake those sleeper cards up does that metaphor work does that joke land probably not that (laughs) probably works well matt matt's not here the 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 dad joke bar is a little bit lower (laughs) yeah yeah that's that's what it is matt's uh currently absent for this episode so I'm just like, I got to I gotta have a, a corny joke in here somewhere, yeah. right? The, the audience will be expecting that, Joey. We got to have exactly. it. Exactly. Okay. All right. Yeah. Again, listeners, we would love to hear more from you guys about all of the uh, fun sleepers that are out there. But for now, yeah, we are going to call this episode to a close. Dana, this was so much fun. And if our listeners want to get in touch with us, where is it that they can find you? You can find me on Twitter at Dana Roach, and you can hear me on my other podcast, CMDR Central. You can find all of us together Wednesday nights at twitch.tv slash edhretcast at 6 o'clock Pacific, 9 o'clock Eastern, where we have some manner of fantastic guest on jamming a game <laughs> or two. And you can find the entire cast here together at patreon.com slash edhretcast. 
And I'm Joey Schultz. You can find me at Joseph M. Schultz on Twitter, and you can find the cast at EDHRecast on Facebook and on Twitter. Plus, if you've got a question for us, you can contact us at EDHRecast at gmail.com. Our thanks go out once again to Chase for assisting me with the post-production of the show. You can find them online at Mana Curves. And listeners, we'll be back at you next week with more data and insights. But until then, remember, EDH wreck your deck before you wreck your deck. <laughs> <laughs>